This is Jeremy Tabik, reading Rav Yitz Greenberg, The Travesty of Agunot, How a Good Law Was Hijacked and Turned into an Instrument of Oppression, Parashat Ki Teitze, 5781. Our parasha instructs the husband to write a bill of divorce, called in Vishnaic Hebrew, a get, to end a failed marriage. Initially a form of protection for the wife, in the past century this commandment has been turned into a source of abuse of women in failed marriages. The typical aguna, or chained wife, over most of Jewish history, was the result of the rare case of husbands who disappeared. In the 20th century, recalcitrant husbands have used their exclusive halachic power to issue the get to withhold it, thereby turning the document into a lever for extortion and entrapping countless wives in broken marriages. What is worse, these husbands have been aided and abetted in this crime by rabbinic courts. Aguna activist Blue Greenberg notes that Deuteronomy is known for its special emphasis on human rights laws. She has argued that this biblical divorce law was intended to upgrade women's rights. In many traditional cultures, the husband had the absolute right to banish his wife irrevocably by calling her to the door and orally declaring the mantra, I divorced you, I divorced you, I divorced you. The wife would have to depart immediately, leaving children behind and herself without support for the future. By requiring a legal process, the Torah filtered out impulsive and thoughtless actions of rejection and assured that a woman could prepare for divorce. Furthermore, the rabbis later established the ketubah, the marriage contract, which guaranteed that, in case of divorce, the husband must provide the wife with a minimum settlement of 200 zuzim silver coins. This placed her above the poverty line, allowing her to pursue some dignified life. How did a commandment with noble intentions go wrong? First, the rabbis interpreted the Torah's direction, he shall write to her a bill of divorce, to mean that only he can write a get, that he must do so of his own free will. In the 20th century, unscrupulous husbands or their lawyers decided to refuse the get so that the woman would be chained, unable to go free from her husband. The husband would then demand either financial payoffs, less than equal divisions of property, or concessions on custody and control of the children. In Talmudic times, the rabbis would not tolerate such abuse. If a husband was recalcitrant, the rabbis ruled that he should be forced to issue the get. The husband would receive makat mardut, the beating given to those who rebel and disobey rabbinic law, until he said aloud, I want you to issue the get. Maimonides offers a justification of this process. We assume, he says, that the husband wishes to do the right thing for his wife and children in accordance with the Torah. If so, why is he refusing the get? because the evil urge has seized control of him, like what later Jews would call a divok. Instead of letting her go, he is holding her up for money or custody or plain spite. Therefore, says Maimonides, we beat him until the pain neutralizes the baleful influence of this evil urge. After this, he speaks what a good-hearted husband should say, I really want to free her and end the misery between us. What changed in the 20th century? The divorce rate rose. Divorced women had more options of employment and self-support, so wives were less willing to stay in bad marriages and suffer. Moreover, when unscrupulous husbands grasped the opportunity to extort their wives, the judges of the rabbinic courts went along with this demand. Contemporary rabbis insisted that the husband's absolute right was granted by the Torah, i.e. God, and that they could do nothing about it. Some insisted that if the husband's will was forced, the get would be disqualified. They typically advise the wives to grant the husband's demands, or face years of suffering in limbo. Thus, a noble law launched thousands of extortions, and the extortionists got their way. 
thousands of women paid up to get their gets. Tens of thousands of children received less or limited financial support and often suffered from poverty and deprivation. Thousands more women were put in limbo, their lives constrained or ruined. Since in Israel the rabbinic courts were given monopoly control of personal status, tens of thousands of secular non-observant wives were thrust into this unjust situation. Many secular women gave up on getting a get. Many ended up with a second family or husband whom they would live with or marry civilly. By rabbinic law, their second marriage was illegitimate, and any children born were officially mamzerim, illegitimate children, non-marriageable to most Jews. Observant women trapped in this torturous situation suffered the most. They could not move on. They could not start new lives. Many made the financial and custodial payoffs and accepted deprivation as the price of freedom. Still others were held up by husbands out of spite and were anchored for many years in ruined marriages. Why did the rabbis go along with this injustice? Many of the judges believed that God had given the husband this power over his wife, since women were subordinate to men. Still others rationalized that they were delaying the issue of a get, and thus protecting the institution of marriage against rising divorce rates, never mind the woman suffering, and that the marriage was hopelessly fractured. Overall, rabbinic culture fell behind the general culture, which had by this time concluded that women should have the right to end a marriage just as much as men. In America, the rabbis of Yeshiva University and centrist orthodoxy came up with the idea of a prenuptial agreement in which the husband agreed to pay a daily amount of wife support if the get was delayed. In effect, this was a fine for recalcitrance, but it was disguised enough to gain support from many traditional rabbis. These rabbis also sponsored an organization, the Organization for the Release of Agunot, which organizes public demonstrations to shame the recalcitrant husbands into giving a get. Sometimes this pressure works, sometimes not. This halachic prenup seems to have significantly reduced get abuse, but did nothing for the thousands of women who were already chained in failed marriages. In Israel, the use of prenuptial agreements is far behind the United States. The result is a toxic, unfair-to-women atmosphere surrounding the get process. A survey done by the Rackman Center for Women's Rights of Bar Ilan University showed that one-third of all women who went through the divorce process in Israel were threatened at one point or another with withholding their get. Among Orthodox women, 50% were threatened with get withholding. In this way, even the vast majority of women who get their get negotiate the terms under threat of the husband's absolute right. This means that their settlements are not truly an equal division arrived at fairly. This adds up to widespread mistreatment of women and abuse of their rights in the name of religion. To complete this scandalous picture, one should add that Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, in The Last Generation, wrote a halachic treatise pointing out the surge in Igun, anchoring by recalcitrance, and suggesting a systemic halachic solution. He said the rabbi should use a rarely used power to nullify marriages when the husband arbitrarily refuses to issue the get. Hafka'ah, nullification, is affirmed in the Talmud, since all halachic marriages are valid and binding only due to them being embedded in rabbinic law and the rabbi's consent. Then when the marriage has failed and the husband is refusing a get, the rabbis can withdraw their consent, thereby invalidating the marriage. In 2013, New York University Law School and the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance, JOFA, convened a conference on the problem of Igun. The main scholarly presentation, Rabbi Dr. Gerald Blidstein, Zichron showed that, historically, there were several methods of ending a marriage without a get. These powers, if exercised, could end the problem of Igun. One of these powers is Hafka'ah, as discussed. A second is Kiddushay Ta'ut, mistaken betrothal, 
where the husband has some serious flaw, which, if the wife had known in advance, she would not have married him. This technique is in limited use by courts today, but mostly under the radar to avoid criticism from more hardline rabbis. A third is get zikui, the get through agency, where the court acts on behalf of the husband to write the get when he is physically indisposed. Where he is wrongfully withholding the get, the court could act on his behalf to end his status as a wicked person abusing his wife. This conference resulted in the formation of the International Beit Din for Agunot, promising to apply some of these alternative methods to free women and end the blight of Igun throughout the Jewish world. Despite the deep historical roots of these methods of marriage dissolution, and the International Beit Din being run by well-respected Talmidei Chachamim, traditional rabbinic scholars, the political opposition to this organization was so fierce that they could only ever use one of the methods, Kiddushet Ta'ut. Although the International Beit Din continues to free significantly more women from Igun, the typical rabbinic court, the general run of Orthodox courts continue to allow get refusal to go on. The Orthodox establishment largely opposes the International Beit Din and treats the would-be liberators of chained wives as the enemy, instead of the recalcitrant husbands. The Orthodox public continues to stand by as the blood and lives of innocent women are spilled. Modern Orthodox Jews push prenuptial agreements but fail to challenge our rabbis to end the injustice of Igun. Instead, they mostly accept the repeated but false claim that nothing can be done to end the problem systematically. The public's ignorance and go-along psychology enables the rabbis' lack of will to block systemic halachic solutions. The non-Orthodox public and philanthropists have also been guilty of bystanding out of unfamiliarity with the issue or because they dismiss this as a problem limited to the Orthodox world. They would not ignore systematic abuse of women in other countries and religions on the grounds that this is the other's problem. They fail to take responsibility to act and or support ameliorating initiatives, as if Igun is not a moral stain on Judaism as a world religion. The God who, in the words of Psalms, does justice for the oppressed, weeps, while his Torah, originally intended for the improvement of women's lives, is hijacked by recalcitrant husbands, enabled by important rabbis, and turned into an instrument of oppression and impoverishment of women and children who deserve better. The law of divorce with dignity will be restored when we end human-inflicted igun. It is time for the whole Jewish community to wake up, wise up, and end this shameful injustice. Shabbat Shalom.